Officer Balper and the team want to brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his weekly Monday appearance on a Tuesday. It's his weekly Monday appearance except owing to the trade deadline and events attendant to the trade deadline. It's occurring on a Tuesday. He's the managing editor of Fangraphs.com, Dave Cameron. Dave Cameron is the guest in a particular note this week. The trade deadline, obviously. Monday saw, it seems, 18 trades, all of which seem to have occurred between the hours of 1 and 4 p.m., and the conversation which follows is dedicated less to precise analysis of those trades and honestly just to understanding the new reality they've created in baseball. Please observe as the host of this program, an idiot, asks managing editor Dave Cameron, simply to guide him through the morass of transactions which occurred on Monday. There is some substance, perhaps, I asked Dave Cameron about some of the trades which experienced malfunctions. For example, Jay Bruce's trade to the Mets, which saw Dilson Herrera and not... Brandon Nimmo going back to Cincinnati. The trade that never was, featuring Jonathan Lucroy to Cleveland in exchange for a strong collection of prospects. And also the Colin Ray situation, traded from San Diego to Miami, and then after pitching roughly three innings, going back to San Diego. I also asked Dave Cameron about Yasiel Puig, about his short-term and longer-term future the Los Angeles Dodgers, and discuss for no fewer than 30 seconds the deal that sent Tim Alderson, Giants prospect Tim Alderson, to the Pittsburgh Pirates for Freddy Sanchez in 2010. Ultimately, however, what we find here is a mess and two people attempting to contend with that mess. One thing, of course, that is not a mess is SeatGeek at SeatGeek.com. Do you find purchasing tickets for sporting events or concerts as difficult as understanding all of the moves that occurred at baseball's trade deadline? How do you feel about awkward and heavy-handed segues to sponsors' messages? Regardless, in either case, you will benefit from SeatGeek. What they do is to pull tickets from all other sites into one place to aggregate them, as it were, so that you, the customer, never miss a deal. And even better, what SeatGeek does is to assess a grade to every ticket, allowing customers to find underpriced seats, to exploit the inefficiencies of the ticket-buying market, as it were, and therefore to find hot, hot deals. And finally, best of all, SeatGeek is always honest about the price. Unlike StubHub, they add no hidden or mysterious fees, quoting you the same price from the beginning to the end of the transaction. And for having endured the sponsor's message, listeners are rewarded by a a rebate offer, a $20 rebate offer. To collect that $20 rebate, here's what you do. You download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, enter the promo code FANGRAPHS, that's F-A-N-G-R-A-P-H-S. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download that free SeatGeek app and enter the promo code FANGRAPHS today at your nearest possible convenience with which utterance. It is clear that the end of the introduction is nigh. What is it? It is FANGRAPHS Audio. Who does it feature? Managing editor of FANGRAPHS, Dave Cameron. And when does it begin? Right now. No practical analytics today. For I, there's too much. There's too much else to talk about. Eighteen trades. Eighteen trades. Is that what the eighteen trades? What just yesterday? Yesterday. And oh, I think okay. actually all of them happened between one and five p.m. Like there they was were, basically nothing in the morning. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and I, uh, I remember this. Uh, I would start to see. I would start to see, for example, a tweet, Twitter.com. About a player 
Like I saw all of a sudden a considerable discussion about Brandon Geyer. Yeah. But I had not seen the trade announcement, so I assume, you know, you one infers such a thing. But it was uh, so many players changing hands um, that it's uh, really difficult at this point uh, to get a sense of which players are employed by which teams. Or maybe now Brandon Geyer is left-handed if he changed hands. Ah. <laughs> we'll go with practical joking instead of practical analytics. Yeah, that's right. Or alternatively, perhaps he had each of his hands severed from the end of their respective arms and then switched and surgically reattached. I think that would make him worse at baseball. I wonder uh, what yeah. you'd go on the table list for that for, like amputation? Yeah. Practical practical joking of a different sort, isn't it? <laughs> Not very good. Well, Josh Let, Taylor went to, stabbed his teammate, and they called that a practical joke. So, Oh, yeah. I'm, I was going to start off uh, with a bit of, uh, I guess really, it's, it's basically just quiz. This is just quizzing is all this really is, is what I'm going to do to you. Fantastic. Uh, which was I would ask you, I would just ask you about a team to see if you had any sense of who was still who was still on <laughs> if that I team. I can name any of their players. Yeah. Okay. Well, like, uh, so for example, we know that the New York Yankees were quite active uh, over the last what week and a half or yeah. so. Um, they acquired quite a bit. Now, many of the players they acquired were prospects, but they sent away big leaguers. So, for example, uh, if you had to guess right now, Dave Cameron, um, who would you guess? Can you name the back of the Yankees bullpen right now? Well, Dylan Batanzas is still there. So that's sure. that's the guy. He becomes the closer, yeah. Kaysen Shreve. I think that's a human, Um, that's a human being who pitches. Yeah, yeah, I think he is, I think he's technically employed by them, although he might be in the minors right now. Really? You sure? No. (laughs) No one, no one's sure. They got Adam Warren back in the uh, role of Chapman deal. Right. But to, will he serve in relief, do you suppose? I mean, that's where he was good for them last year, so that would be my guess. Okay. Uh, what they traded for Tyler Clipper yesterday? One of the eighteen trades. Yeah. Okay. So, so I mean, this is a minor trade, but sometimes, uh, sometimes the major trades are obvious. The minor trades, not always. What what deal was that? That was with the Nationals. No, the no. Diamondbacks. Oh, the Diamondbacks. Right. Yeah. Of course. That was uh, basically a salary dump. The Diamondbacks, I think, gave Clipper a two-year deal over the winter as part of their ill-fated attempt to win. And now that they realize they suck, they said, "Hey, let's go to Tyler Clipper because he makes money." Right, and so they sent him to New York. Or, yeah, for a non-prospect, basically. And how does it benefit New York? Well, they traded away two relievers, as you just noted. No one else can name any non-Batanzas relievers in their bullpen, so they needed some depth. And I think from the Yankees' perspective, they're certainly looking to the future, but I don't think they're looking to, you know, blow things up and be terrible next year. So now they get a reliever who's under control through 2017, who can, you know, give them a reliable, uh, you know, veteran setup guy in front of Batanzas. Yeah, I think uh, so. Chase and Shreve is uh, his most recent two appearances have been for the minor league team. Okay, fine. One 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 player about whom I could have told you was Chad Green. Yeah, I don't know anything about Chad Green. Chad Green has uh, been one of their best uh, their best starters in the minor leagues and has made a couple of relief appearances. Okay. Uh, you did mention Adam Warren, so that's uh, that accounts for four guys back there. Okay. Good for neglected, me. That's, that's not bad. Neglected Nick Goody. Well, who doesn't? And then also Richard Blyer. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you say his name. I couldn't tell you whether Richard Blyer is right-handed, left-handed, or no-handed. Yeah. <laughs> he's no-handed. Yeah, no, uh, no he's, he's probably pretty he's a left. He's a left-handed pitcher. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, there are some examples. But it's also possible that Luis 
Severino uh, is going to be potentially open? really. Yeah, but they don't. They do not have a starter determined for August third. So he's um, probably just hanging out and waiting to make that start. Could be Severino. Could be. Could be Warren. Who knows? Yeah, would be weird if they acquired Warren and then tried to turn him back into a starter when he was so good for them as in a reliever role last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess they didn't. <clears throat> the Yankees didn't trade much in the way of position players, so it's mostly the it's mostly the back of the bullpen. Well, they traded uh, Carlos is, Beltran, which just changed shapes, right? They, they and he was playing what predominantly DH for them. Yeah, he played some outfield, but mostly DH. And so, do we assume that Alex Rodriguez will? play that in a full-time capacity at this point? Not necessarily. Or? I think there's been a report they're calling up Gary Sanchez uh, hmm. tomorrow. And right. I would think that since they're going young, they would probably be more interested in seeing what Gary Sanchez can do than Alex Rodriguez. And, um, of course, they have uh, – what are the reports currently? Um, and I recognize that you're not Fangraph's lead prospect analyst, but what what is your understanding of, of his uh, – Gary Sanchez's defensive capabilities at this point? I mean, I think a couple of years ago, the thought was that he had no chance to catch, and that's maybe been upgraded to, like, he could be not atrocious, but mm-hmm. certainly not a defensive asset. So, um, you know, maybe maybe going the Mike Napoli route of, like, you could stick him back there, but you're you're playing the bat, so maybe you just stick the bat in the lineup. Okay, right. And uh, they'll have a chance to do that uh, because uh, they're, they don't, I guess they don't probably have much in the way of ambitions to, um, to win at this point, uh, merely just to stay afloat, yeah? Yeah, I think, right, that's the goal, is to not be atrocious, but uh, accrue future value. Okay, all right. Uh, so that's the Yankees. Uh, we, they, uh, they acquired more in the way of a talent. Who, who, who were their biggest gets, if we're looking at it? Because uh, they traded they traded a Chapman. Uh-huh. I, mean, that, I think we probably discussed this last week, but they traded Chapman in the, uh, to the Cubs, and I think Torres... Gl- Oh uh, yeah, that's right. Anglo mouse, uh, Gliber, Glaber, yeah, Glaber Torres, and then no, uh, for Miller, yeah, right. A week yeah. Later. For, 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 for Miller, uh, for Miller, they acquired Clint uh, Frazier. Clint Frazier, outfielder. Yeah, yeah. much and, easier uh, name to pronounce. Yep. And Watch him by Clint or something. That would be annoying. Right. right, but I don't think he does. Clint Frazier. Uh, Clint Frazier was the big one. Uh, do we um, any chance that we see Clint Frazier this year? Yeah, probably. As a September call-up. I mean, he's already in AAA. He's not doing particularly well in AAA in like five games there, but he hit well in AA, and I think if he, you know, isn't embarrassing in AAA, they'll probably give him a September call-up. Okay. Uh, let's move to, here's, here's another team. Here's, uh, the Texas Rangers. Yeah. They made some acquisitions, a number of acquisitions. Yeah. It's much easier to name players on their team now that it's, you know, Jonathan Lucroy and Carlos Beltran and Jeremy Jeffress rather than the guys they're replacing. Because what was their catching situation this year? Robinson Chirinos, Brian Holiday, Bobby Wilson. And what was it supposed to be? Well, that's kind of what it was supposed to be. I mean, Robinson <laughs> Chirinos was hurt a decent amount of the year, so they had to acquire guys like Holiday and bring back Wilson. But uh, Chirinos was kind of the starter going into the year. Okay, right. And he, um, and I think he did exhibit maybe more power than one might have otherwise expected. Yeah, he's like a surprising power, but it comes from like swinging at everything and uh, swinging for the fences on every on every attempt. So when he doesn't hit a home run, he's not particularly good. Right, and I could be wrong, but I believe that actually as a as a prospect, he was even uh, he was floating around maybe in the Rays system at some point. Right. He might have been part of the Matt Garza deal. Yeah, I think that's true. Sounds familiar, and I think that he was more of like a plate discipline guy. Yeah, which is now he's not. And now he's a swing for the fences guy. 
right. Okay. Um, well, helping him uh, to some degree. Um, <clears throat> what what has changed most about this team? We see uh, not much in the way of additions to the bullpen, although, as you noticed, uh, Jeremy Jeffress yeah. is there. And then tell me, uh, I believe that uh, Jeff Sullivan was for some reason excited about Dario Alvarez. No, yeah, well, I mean, I think he's excited because he has a really good slider and a mid-90s fastball as a left-hander. I mean, that's, <laughs> and he's striking guys out left and right. I think those are reasons to be excited. Right. And they, the, uh, Dario Alvarez is a player they acquired from Atlanta? Yeah. In exchange for? Uh, Travis Demerit. Oh, yes, right. Travis Demerit, who is, uh, I believe, an explosive second baseman. Yeah, he's a second baseman with power, but uh, limited contact skills. Mm-hmm. And a Lucas Harrell also came over to Texas in that deal. Right. The Braves picked up two guys off waivers and then traded them for a prospect a couple months later. But I think there's reason to believe that like Alvarez might have been worth holding on to for the Braves or is worth addition adding for the for the Rangers at least. There aren't a lot of lefties out there with that kind of slider who can be that good against left handers who you can get for, you know, Demerit's a fringy prospect, so uh, it's not like they gave up a significant piece for him and they got maybe one of the better left handed relievers traded at the deadline in a time when relief pitching is very expensive. Right. What is the thing that separates it seems as though there is – because obviously the cost for the most elite relievers is quite high, yeah? yeah? Um, we have um, – obviously we discussed Chapman and Miller. They went for quite a bit. Um, Will Smith? Yeah, Will Smith went for a decent amount. And where, where is Will Smith going the, these days? The Giants. He's also, or, so he's going to the Giants. And um, um, the Brewers received in exchange for him – yeah. Bill McFord and uh, Andrew oh, yeah. Susak. Andrew Susak, right? Andrew Susak, who did some catching last year and wow. uh, has That's a promising the catcher, yes. So. Yeah, did, yeah, for the Giants, I mean, uh, maybe to spell Buster Posey. Yeah, and Susak's going to Dick- take Luke Roy's spot, basically. Okay, yeah. Well, the Brewers are another team uh, at which uh, we can challenge you uh, in terms of roster construction at this point. Um, but uh, and of course, B- Bickford's a bit. Uh, I, I believe it'd be a bit enigmatic is one way that Eric Longenhagen described yeah, it. The Bickford is interesting because he was what, a first round pick twice. Uh, he was drafted out of high school and then again out of college. Uh, so twice scouts have liked him enough uh, to say, hey, this is a, you know, a promising arm. And then he's gotten into the minor leagues and the results are actually pretty decent. Like he's striking guys out and not giving up runs. And, you know, doing it in, like, age-appropriate levels. And I think Chris Mitchell's uh, projections think he's, like, a, one of the better pitching prospects in baseball. But now, <laughs> like, even after pitching fairly well as a professional, scouts seem to be less enamored with him. His stuff's kind of backed up a little bit uh, or at least been inconsistent. So some days it's good, sometimes it's not. Didn't pitch very well in the Futures game. Um, so I think the... The kind of consensus now is that Bickford is a little bit overrated. And I know Eric Longenhagen downgraded him to a 45 future value uh, on his his pro- kind of prospect trade ranking. Uh, but if you look at the, the numbers, they're still kind of promising. So you have a guy with, like, some scouting history of, of potential with, like, good performance in the minor leagues. It's easy to see why the Brewers were interested. Right. And it's actually funny because the way you're describing Bickford, uh, it's a similar – uh, it's a similar analysis one could provide of Reese McGuire. Reese McGuire, who was acquired by the Toronto Blue Jays, along with Harold Ramirez, who's an outfield prospect, along with Francisco Liriano and Francisco Liriano's contract, right. all in exchange for Drew Hutchison, I believe. Yeah, one of those 
one of the more strange trades. Not the most strange trade because the the Twins and Angels made a deal, but the second strangest deal yesterday. Right. <clears throat> Strange because go. Well, I'm gonna think so. Like the, from the Pirates' perspective, they traded away Liriano, who has been one of the best starting pitchers in baseball the last couple of years. Has not been very good this year, uh, but you know, at least is a veteran starter with some history of success and not making a ton of money. So I think Pirates fans probably weren't prepared for Liriano to have negative trade value. And then when you look at the head to give up two prospects for Drew Hutchison, who was just hanging out in AAA and doesn't have a long history of success. It looks like you're giving up a major league pitcher and two prospects for a minor league pitcher, which is weird. Like you don't normally see that. You're normally when you're selling, you're getting prospects, not giving prospects. So this was a little bit of an unorthodox trade, but I think I would almost look at it as like two separate trades in one. Like the Blue Jays just basically claimed Liriano and waivers, like the, and the Pirates said, "Yeah, it's fine. You can have him." Uh, there wasn't a lot of interest in Liriano because he wasn't pitching well this year, and he's um, had significant command problems throughout his career, and he's been up and down, and this looks like one of those down stretches. So I think the the Pirates basically just gave Liriano to the Blue Jays for some cash savings, and then kind of separately uh, traded McGuire and Ramirez for Hutchison to give them a replacement for letting Liriano go in their rotation as they get a younger starter with some upside, the kind of guy that they fixed in the past and kind of gotten some some value out of. And I think they looked at Ramirez and uh, McGuire and said, look, these are – Two prospects of, you know, some value, but not necessarily guys we think are going to be contributors in Pittsburgh long term. Uh, and neither one's really kind of playing well this year. So mm-hmm. perhaps their stock is on the downturn and let's kind of tr- turn them into something we think we could use and increase its value, uh, before kind of the prospect analysis catches up and says, oh yeah, maybe McGuire and Ramirez were overrated. Yeah. Now I will say, uh, now this is how we got to this particular trade is that, uh, in course you were discussing Bickford. A, a prospect who was, about whom there was a great deal of enthusiasm because of the physical tools he exhibited both in high school and then at College of Southern Nevada, I think. Um, and he had pitched for maybe, uh, one of the UC schools, uh, Fullerton maybe in between there. Uh, with that, this sort of physical tools that got him drafted twice in the first round. Reese McGuire, uh, has also been, uh, celebrated as a prospect and his stock in the industry, as the consensus has fallen, but he also appears on uh, Chris Mitchell's uh, recent uh, top 100 Cato list as well, right? Uh, because he hardly ever strikes out. Yeah, he's a catcher with contact skills, and you know, like if you can hold your own at all behind the plate as a good defensive catcher, and you are a total zero at the uh, you know as a hitter, uh, then you have some value. I think the trick with this is. Um, if you look at kind of what like catch and throw, contact hitting, uh, even good framing catchers get in the market, it's it's very small, right? Like so, we can look at like a guy like Ryan Hannigan, who might be Reese McGuire's eventual upside if everything goes really well. And so like Ryan Hannigan had like a decent career in the big leagues and was a you know useful player for the Reds and got a multi-year contract. But he never made more than like three or four million dollars a year, even at his peak when he was projected as like a two or three win player. Um, I think players like this, the market just doesn't value much at all. And so for the Pirates' perspective, they can look at it and say, look, Reese McGuire might turn into a perfectly useful part-time catcher uh, or maybe even like a fringy starting catcher. But we can go get like the productive version of Reese McGuire's upside for $4 million as a free agent or $5 million or whatever these guys sign for, which isn't a lot of money. So there's just not a lot of value 
in the market for this kind of prospect, even if they could potentially turn into useful players. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> let's now we're flailing around here a little bit, Dave That's what Kimmen. we do. Yeah, but it's also it's also kind of the only. There's no organizing principle to these trades except for perhaps, uh, I mean, because you know they're all being conducted by different teams, as you noted um, today in the pages of, uh, of, of Fangraphs. Uh, there perhaps was one theme that you recognized, which was uh, there were a number of of prospects, and we've mentioned already a couple of them. Bickford, uh, perhaps Reese McGuire would fall under this uh, category. Perhaps uh, uh, Harold Ramirez, also traded from from the Pirates to the Blue Jays, would also fall under the category. Uh, Dylan Tate, yep. who was sent maybe from Texas yeah. to the Yankees. Uh-huh. And the Carlos Beltran deal. And the Carlos Beltran deal. Falls under this uh, umbrella as well of prospects who uh, were highly valued at one point, but uh, whose stock has fallen um, to some degree, and in some cases dramatically. In the meantime, yeah, I mean, I think you know it's kind of interesting of like when we think about prospect trades, uh, especially kind of like the more general fan uh, who's not necessarily reading Baseball America all the time or you know participating in Eric Long and Higgins chats. Uh, is, is familiar with like the Julio Urias's and the Juan Mercado's of the world. They've heard of the big names, right? So like, uh, whenever anyone gets traded, they're like, oh yeah, you're gonna trade for one of these guys. So, uh, as we've talked about kind of in the trade value series, these guys ne- almost never get traded. Like, Urias, Mercado, Benintendi, uh, Bregman, the, the really elite echelon guys who can contribute to the big leagues right now and are, you know, valuable pieces for the future, teams don't trade them. <laughs> they say, hey, I've got this like, somewhat dinged up guy who might be good in a couple of years but can't help me right now, that I'm willing to trade. But I don't think we see teams kind of moving these close to the big leagues, can step right in right away and, and contribute guys. Maybe Dilson Herrera would be like the one exception, but the Mets don't seem very convinced that he can play considering they signed Jose Reyes to block him. And, uh, you know, even with Neil Walker as a free agent at the end of the year, they just traded him away, uh, even though Herrera could have potentially stepped in at second base next year. So the Mets seem not sold on Herrera. Um, but he's like the one guy you could kind of look at in this deadline thing of like, here's a guy who could come to the big leagues and, and help someone. Uh, right. But mostly they're wanting to trade kind of, you know, guys with significant question marks, guys with performance issues right now, um, guys who they look at and say, maybe maybe there's some information asymmetry here that we can take advantage of where, you know, based on some prior prospect list or some scouting report from last year, we think we can, uh, you know, sell before people realize that the thing we're selling isn't as good as they think it is. And I think it's interesting to kind of look at this on the aggregate and be like, you know, essentially what, what teams did yesterday was sell a little bit low, right? Like a lot of these guys had diminished value uh, relative to what they had previously. So you're not necessarily wading through a trough and saying, I'm going to wait for the bounce back and get back to peak value, which is generally what's suggested in kind of value investing is buy low and sell high, right? Teams were deciding to sell when value was down. But I think we, there, there is a real strategy to identifying things that are trending the wrong way and getting off the bus before they crash and saying, look, if I think this thing that, you know, worth, used to be worth a dollar is now worth 75 cents, I think next year it's going to be worth 50 cents, I've, I'm better off taking 70 cents right now, even if that's like below its value currently. If I think it's headed downwards, I should I should sell it before other people realize that. Right, because I guess uh, I mean, while it's certainly – it's certainly true that baseball players, certainly major leaguers, regress to the mean. 
and even like the mean of their own true talent, what we can, you know, to more or less identify as their true, true talent. Prospects, uh, especially pitching prospects, yeah, are sort of a different breed altogether. Yeah, I mean, the value of a prospect can change dramatically. I mean, I think just look at, um, you know, Andrew Benintendi, who just got called up to the big leagues. Uh, 14 months ago was the number seven pick in the draft. Maybe like two or three months before that, he was a fringe first round guy, not really on the map. Uh, so he was, you know, a prospect, but not one of like substantial note. A year and a half later, he's in the big leagues. Dylan Tate was 18 months ago considered the front runner to be the number one overall pick in the draft. So this was maybe the best arm heading into last summer. Uh, number, went number four overall. A year and a half later is traded for two months with Carlos Beltran. Like the value of prospects can fluctuate dramatically. And I think in some of these cases, potentially, uh, teams are trying to take advantage of kind of older scouting reports or older evaluations that might not be making up for kind of more recent evaluations and saying like maybe the Giants in, the, in their case say, look, you know, there's probably some teams out there that still have positive scouting reports on Phil Bickford from what and he was throwing mid-90s and now the other day we saw him throwing 88 to 92. Let's get rid of Phil Bickford before everyone else sees him throwing 88 to 92. What uh, the, the Giants have been identified previously, it seems, as a club that has a uh, that has a particularly good, a pretty, is particularly able to assess their own pitchers in particular. Yeah, they've done a good job um, picking which prospects to get rid of. I feel like they there was a trade. This was maybe like five six years ago now, um, where they sent away someone <laughs> whose name I'm neglecting to remember because he didn't reach the major leagues. But maybe they sent it to Pittsburgh. Okay, I'm supposed to just randomly know every yeah, say the name of the guy. But anyways, he was a top pitching prospect. Okay. Um, you forget uh, who they acquired, uh, but I mean, this, this time details. around, yeah, that's good. Yeah, um, uh, uh, this time around they traded Adalberto Mejia, yeah, to the Twins, and that's what netted them Eduardo, Eduardo Nunez, Nunez, which allowed them to trade Matt Duffy for Matt Moore, which allowed them to trade Matt Duffy to right to Tampa Bay for Matt Moore. They also traded another one of their prospects, who I think was appearing on some top 100 lists, as you mentioned, Phil Bickford. To the Brewers, um, in theory, because uh, for the same thing. It, it, I wonder, I wonder if that sort of um, identity, that sort of reputation, makes its way around the majors, where you start to say, "Oh, well, we're not going to, we're not going to select, we're not going to trade with the Giants for one of their pitchers because they seem to have this um, history of, uh, you know, trading away guys who are on are on the way down, even if it doesn't seem like that to our scouts." Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the tricky things, right? Is like, do you believe in your own evaluation of another team's players, or do you believe in their evaluation? Like, if if a team is willing to trade you a guy, uh, that means that they inherently are stating that they value him less than than you do. Now, some of that could just be because of fit. Like, you know, potentially the the Giants could say, "Hey, look, we really like Andrew Susak, but we have Buster Posey, and Buster Posey is not going anywhere. So Andrew Susak doesn't really do anything for us. So there's an actual inefficiency where." Andrew Suzak is more valuable to you than he is to us. But every team needs pitchers, right? Like, no one's like, ah, I just don't need pitching prospects. So if a team like the Giants is saying, look, we're willing to let you value Phil Bickford higher than we do when we know more about Phil Bickford than you do, inherently I think you want to be a little bit skeptical. And this is one of the reasons why we don't ever really see prospect for prospect trades is teams always kind of look at each other's prospects with, like, a weary eye of, like, why are you willing to let this guy go? Um, and so I think... 
uh, if you're a team trading with the Giants and, and they're shopping Phil Bickford or if you're trading with the Rangers and you know they've been shopping Lewis Brinson, uh, you probably are going to put a lower value on them than you would if you were just grading them and you were trying to like talk them out of trading that guy. Um, and I think that's uh, one of the things that teams have to figure out in these trades is like, do we kind of push for someone that they won't uh, they won't give up? Do we you know kind of go for what the White Sox tried to do or the Braves tried to do where they say we want Moncada or Urias or Benintendi or one of these kind of upper tier guys and really hold the line and say we won't trade for anything less than that? Or are you willing to make like maybe a lesser deal and get one of the guys that the team is willing to sell on uh, and acknowledge that you know there's some damage coming along with that probably? Uh- we we uh, there were a few trades that didn't work out, um, or were executed, but in a different uh, way than they were originally conceived. Um, probably the most notable uh, in that sort of trade was the Jonathan Lucroy trade. Um, he was originally well, there was an agreement between Milwaukee and Cleveland to send him to Cleveland, Correct. and then that uh, and that would have netted them uh, a bunch of names. Francisco Mejia. Yeah. Right, was he some sort of catching prospect? Yeah, and then Greg Allen was the one that I noticed the most because uh, I think about him more often than the other ones. Uh, also, because uh, you can say Greg Allen. Uh, I can do Mejia. Yeah, I can do, it. but um, there was, uh, and then and then ultimately, uh, Lucroy. Well, I think what Lucroy said. Well, sure, I'll approve it as long as um, um, as long as you allow allow me to become a free agent. After this year, right? Well, I mean, so technically he vetoed the deal. We don't know all the specifics of why he did it, but he used his no-trade clause to say that he wouldn't go to Cleveland. The reports came out that he was unhappy with the Indians' unwillingness to guarantee him that he would be their starting catcher next year because they have Jan Gomes already under contract, and he potentially saw that as competition and said, hey, look, you've already got this other catcher who's already under contract for even longer. I don't know if you're going to keep me. I don't know if you're going to keep me a catcher. I don't know what your plans are for me. Uh, they apparently did not satisfy that concern. So then, according to Jeff Passan, his request was, if if you're not going to tell me that I'm going to be here next year and be your starting catcher next year, then just tear up my 2017 option. Let me be a free agent this winter, and I'll go pick a new team. Obviously, the Indians were not going to uh, give away one year of Jonathan Lugroy when they were trading for a year and a half of him. So that was a non-starter, and the deal fell apart. Right. Um, the uh, He ultimately went to the Rangers, I, which is, uh, I think that you would identified perhaps the Rangers as a landing place for Jonathan Lucroy. Yeah, I mean, I think along with Boston, they were the two teams that made the most sense in terms of present need and uh, ability to give the Brewers what they were looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rangers, you know, in first place, but but had a lot of holes in their roster, and Catcher was one of them, and Lucroy is a significant addition. And 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 going back is definitely definitely Lewis Brinson. Is yeah, Lewis right? Brinson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then also uh, Ortiz. Luis Ortiz. Luis Ortiz. So what uh, what package do you think would have worked out better for the Brewers? Uh, I like this package a little bit more, to be honest. Okay. I mean, they had to give up Jeremy Jeffress too, and we don't know what Jeffress's value was on his own. So it's a little bit difficult to separate them. Like if it's ju- if you just look at it as like two for two, and Jeffress got Ortiz and Luke Roy brought Brinson, maybe you prefer the Cleveland package because they were getting multiple players. Uh, but I think uh, Brinson clearly more valuable than Mejia, who was the kind of headline guy in the Cleveland deal. And I think when you look at Brinson, um, 
there's some real reason to think he could turn out to be a pretty nice piece for the Brewers. A very athletic center fielder. Uh, looks like he could be a, a plus defender um, and a, a really high-end athlete who's not striking out as much as you would expect from kind of the, the wild swing and miss reports he had early in his career. His overall line in AA this year doesn't look that good, but it's driven by like a, like a 260 Babbitt or something. Like his overall core skills look fine, and he's a 21-year-old AA with plus defense in center field. Like this is a guy who looks like he could have a pretty high floor uh, and if he hits it all, you know, it could be a, you know, three or four win player. Yeah, it should be noted too, Nomar Mazzara, and I think that maybe they were even part of the same international signing class. Does that, does that seem like it could be true? I think Lewis Brinson was a draft pick. Yeah, well then they weren't. But they've both been, they've Lewis both been Brinson at the- t- Sound like a foreigner to you? That yeah, could be, I don't know. <laughs> Where would Not you think he emigrated a- from, like? He could be, uh- England? Yeah, he came from England. <laughs> he, uh, he, no, you're right. They've been at the top of the Rangers system for a while. Sure. In terms of prospect. Yeah, okay. They were both prospects in Texas system. That I can agree with. They're both, they're both talented outfield prospects, young, and they both have uh, cut their strikeout rates in ways that prospects typically don't. Correct. Yeah. So maybe something there. Coaching. Yeah, right. Maybe, the maybe coincidence. Developing young talent. Yeah. Um, coincidence. Uh, uh, okay, so that was the one. That was one trade that uh, obviously Lucroy ended up moving, but uh, did not uh, not to the team that, uh, to which he originally been assigned. Another deal was the one for uh, well, this is a, I don't know if it's been uh, completed or not, but Colin Ray, right, went from San Diego to Miami as part of the deal that also saw Andrew Kashner go to Miami. Correct. And then he started for Miami on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe what three innings into that start? Yeah, four maybe. He had to come out of the game, and I think uh, it's a serious injury, isn't it? it elbow soreness, so may require Tommy John surgery because anytime you have elbow soreness, the, the potential result is that you're going to go have surgery and be out for a year and a half. Uh, we don't know for sure yet, but he's considered damaged goods, and the Marlins got very mad. Right, they got mad, and is have they already conducted a trade to send Ray back? Yeah, they sent him, they traded him back yesterday. So they sent okay. him back to San Diego, uh, and got Luis Castillo, who was one of the prospects they sent in the deal in return. So they basically just took two players out of the trade. <clears throat> so, that's unusual, right? I mean, is there any sort of precedent for this? Yeah, I mean, it's happened somewhat before where teams have said, hey, look, you gave me damaged goods, I want uh, you know, recompense for your for your malfeasance. We don't actually know that the Padres knew that Ray was injured. Like, uh, uh, medical, uh, you know, diagnoses can differ from one doctor to another, and perhaps the Padres thought, you know, Ray was fine, and then he got to Miami and said, you know what, screw this, I'm not fine. My arm hurts. Maybe he didn't tell them. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of a lot of gray area here. We don't know that San Diego was like, haha, we well, got one over on them. We're going to trade him this guy who's going to blow out his arm the moment he takes the hill. Because realistically, that makes the Padres look really bad. And obviously, they had to uh, kind of rework the trade. It doesn't really help them. It's not to their benefit to like try and do that. So I think more realistically, this was probably just like an innocent mistake. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, essentially, this has happened before, um, but not usually the first time the guy takes the mound for the team. Right. Okay. Uh, it should be noted too, right? Uh, Chris Paddock, um, was a, is a, is a, uh, pitching prospect who was traded from Miami to San Diego. Yeah, like a month ago for Fernando Rodney. Right. And Chris Paddock, I don't know if it was within the first three innings. Like two uh, or three starts in, yeah. Two or three starts in. He is also having to get 
he's having to get for sure Tommy John yeah. surgery. Well, he blew out his elbow like a few weeks after he got to San Diego. Right. So it's possible that the Padres just got pissed and were like, "Ha, huh, we're gonna stick it to you," but seems unlikely. Okay. Well, I wasn't even suggesting that. It's just a, a unusual circumstance all the way around. Yeah, lots of injured pitchers going between those two franchises. Right. And then lastly, the Jay Bruce deal. Okay. Can you just explain it? The Mets think defense is stupid, and so okay. they're going to acquire as many bad defensive players as they can and stick them in the field together and hope they win 9-8. to eight. So their, uh, their outfield right now is? Well, they're going to move Cespedes back to left because his quad injury doesn't really allow him to play center field and stay healthy. So the Juana Cespedes in center field experiment is over. So Cespedes in left, now Jay Bruce in right, which leaves only Curtis Granderson and Michael Conforto, both corner outfielders in their own right, to play center field because there's no one else, because Juan Lagares got hurt. Right. So that's what's going to happen. And, and uh, how much playing time should we expect Conforto to get at the major league level? Probably less. I think Granderson's yeah. going to mostly be their center fielder, and Conforto will be a fourth outfielder. And those are both uh, left-handed bats. And Jay Bruce is a left-handed bat. So now you have three lefties and one righty and no center fielders, and that's how you have to make out your outfield. It's not mm-hmm. ideal. I don't know why the Mets did this. And Bruce is a Bruce becomes a free agent when? Well, he's got a team option for next year at $13 million, which you could say is not a crazy amount of money, considering that he's hitting pretty well. But he didn't hit well last year, and he didn't really hit that well the year before, and defensive metrics think he's atrocious. So if you have an aging kind of uh, you know low-on-base slugger, this guy is not worth a ton of money. Uh, I think it's questionable if Jay Bruce is even worth the $13 million. So he could become a free agent this winter if they decide to pick up his option or not pick up his option, which they might do if they watch him themselves and say, man, you really do suck as a fielder. I don't think they would phrase it like that. Yeah. No, they might. No, it depends on how bad he is. Okay. The Padres um, just uh, gave Matt Kemp to the Braves after watching him for a year and said, man, you really do suck as a fielder. That, tra- that trade happened too. Yeah. There's so many trades. So many trades, yeah. Uh, wait, uh, but the Mets, because we were talking about some trades that had to be reconstructed, et cetera, and the, th- this happened to the trade. For, I think the original, the original, uh, at least the reported construction of that trade for Jay Bruce included Brandon Nimmo. Correct. But it did, the final version did not, and, and it had instead Dilson Herrera going to Cincinnati. Yeah, I think this worked out better for the Reds. I mean, I, you know. Certainly prospects can have varying degrees of value to different people, so maybe some folks like Brandon Nimmo, but I don't think Brandon Nimmo is any good, and I think Will, Will, Dilson Herrera could be the red second baseman like tomorrow. So right. uh, you have quite a bit, you, you're pretty optimistic about, about Brandon Nimmo. No, not at no, all. No, that's not what I meant at all. Yeah, that's, that's a uh, false statement. Dilson Herrera, because uh, this has also been, uh, he's been invoked a couple times here, and certainly when the question of the, uh, the wisdom, when you were questioning the wisdom on a number of grounds of the Jose Reyes signing, right. one of them was Dilson Herrera is maybe better. Yeah, I, I would stand by that. I would still rather have Dilson Herrera than Jose Reyes. I don't think Dilson Herrera is like a superstar or anything, but he's a, you know, okay middle infielder who has a little bit of power and a little bit of speed and draws some walks and like makes enough contact. Like he had always kind of the classic not great at anything, but okay at everything guy. And, you know, that can be an average player. And so I think Dilson Herrera with a, you know, a year and a half of AAA service is probably almost big league ready and probably, you know, not that much worse or any worse than Brandon Phillips right now. So if the Reds decide they want to go young, Dilson Herrera gives them a realistic option to tell Brandon Phillips, okay, you lost your job. We're going to play the young kid at second base now. How much more time left on Brandon Phillips' contract? Uh, another year and change, I think. Okay. All right. 
Did, did Zach Cozart get traded? No. Apparently they were talking to the Mariners about him, but then they decided just not to do it because he's got he's under team control for next year, and they basically only had one bidder, so it probably wasn't going to be a super high price because no one really needed a shortstop at the deadline. So mm-hmm. they said, you know, we'll just hold Cozart till this winter and, and try and maybe trade him in a more aggressive market for shortstops. Cozart's value has increased considerably. Yeah, he's hitting well. I have to think. Um, he's obviously he's – Fast approaching the time when he will lose his team control, but he's, uh, he's hit uh, very well. Um, I think maybe Craig Edwards. Does that sound right? Do you know Craig Edwards? Yeah, I think the person maybe, we employ. Yeah, I think maybe he uh, wrote a piece recently on Zach Hozart looking sort of at the, uh, because last year before he was injured for the, for the rest of the year, I had put together, I think what, maybe like 200, 150 really good plate appearances. Right. And he has uh, complemented those with roughly similar performance after returning this year. Yeah, he's uh, kind of one of these contact guys who's figured out how to hit for power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think largely pull power is the... Uh, Seems to be the, the trend in baseball right now. Is like slap hitters realize that hitting the ball at the opposite field is stupid, and they mm-hmm. learn how to turn on the ball and hit it over the wall, and then they become Daniel Murphy, and now you're like, oh, Daniel Murphy is the best hitter in baseball. Or they become Tyler Naquin. Yeah, or Naquin. One of the fifteen guys who seems like they've just like given up on hitting the ball the opposite field and are now hitting homers all over the place. Right. Is there a way that pitchers can counteract that? I don't know. I mean, I think if they if there was an easy way to do it, they would have probably done it by now. So yeah. how you avoid kind of pitching to you know slap hitters pull power? I would think like pitch them away, but it doesn't seem to be that easy. Yeah, I guess not. Otherwise, like Jose Batista wouldn't have been any good. Uh, Tim. Yeah. Tim Alderson. Okay. Traded to the Pirates from the Giants in, uh. Me to pull Tim Alderson out of my head after, like, a vague, the Giants had a pitching prospect, from, they traded to Pittsburgh? Yeah, yeah, he was traded to Pittsburgh. Uh, that was the Freddie Sanchez deal. Oh yeah, the, the Freddie Sanchez deal. How could I forget that? <laughs> if you would have been like, oh yeah, 15 years ago they had a guy named Jesse Foppert, I would have been like, oh yeah, Jesse Foppert, I can remember him. Jesse Foppert, you remember more than who's, Tim Alderson? Sponsor? Which, uh, was the, the inspiration for the, uh, original Grant Brisby blog, Waiting for Boof. Alright. Now called McCovey Chronicles. It's much less fun. He, I mean, the he, blog is still fun. The name of the blog is much less fun. Oh, well, yeah. And Grant, and Grant Brisby is a national treasure. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe a regional treasure. Regional treasure, yeah. But that's better than most of us. Or uh, maybe in treasured Europe. in another country. Like, not this one. Yeah. Maybe England, where, uh, <laughs> where Lewis Brinson is from. Where Lewis Brinson's from. Okay. Uh, this is a real mess. Um, God, I didn't even mention the most. This is this. Here, here, let's get to some real anecdotal, anecdotal territory. For me, the trade that seemed like it benefited the most, the teams the most, and made the most sense. Classic trade was between Oakland, uh, the A's and the Dodgers. Right. I was wondering if we're gonna get through the whole podcast without mentioning Rich Hill and Josh Reddick for three pretty pretty decent prospects. Rich Hill. When he's healthy, which of course is a question mark, he's been quite good. Yep. The uh, the Dodgers have just an entire team of pitchers who are on the verge of a career-threatening injury, uh, but it's working out, I guess, to some degree. And uh, and then um, the Dodgers have needed. Can you provide? I because a lot of times I will, as a person who would like to retain what he he has of equanimity. Spiritual equanimity. I do not often read uh, stories regarding Yasiel Puig uh, because they tend to be fraught with uh, questions about the player's behavior. And I'm not saying they're unjustified. I'm just saying that it's just 
there's a lot of murky territory there, and I'd prefer not to enter into it. What is the and then and then I will use this this program as an attempt just to have you digest it for me. What what has been like say like the last month or two in the relationship between Puig and the Dodgers? Did you just start trying to ask a question about an important trade and then just pivot away from it mid question? No, because because the the problem with Yasiel Puig, right? Or the, the reason that the trade is done to some degree is because Yasiel Puig is going down to AAA. Yes, the the A's or the Dodgers required Josh Reddick because they were tired of Yasiel Puig. They were hoping to trade him yesterday, but they couldn't find anyone to take him. So they're now stuck with him, and and but they didn't want to be stuck with him on their big league roster. So they're sending him to the minors in order to basically just get him out of the clubhouse. Right, and so what? But so this is why I'm asking: How is it? What is it that has become so bad over you know recently? Yeah, so that's not public. I mean, we haven't had like a you know a brouhaha where he's like taken out Clayton Kershaw or something. But you know, Puig has had um, a poor clubhouse reputation since he got to the big leagues and has frustrated his teammates time and time again. That seemed to like kind of go away a little bit in spring training, but uh, as of late, over the last month or so, there have been more reports that like things still aren't good. Uh, no one really knows why. The Dodgers have done a decent job of kind of keeping that internal, but they haven't been able to keep internal the idea that no one likes the guy. So um, we don't know the cause, but we do know the effect, and the effect is that they just don't want him around the rest of their guys anymore. Right, and do you think that uh, this situation would be different if instead of uh, having produced thus far a batting line 5% below league average, he had produced one, say, 50% above league average? I mean... Yes, in the sense like you're willing to put up with more crap from a guy if he's like carrying your team to victories, but no, in the sense like Puig has actually been him better lately since he returned to the disabled list. He's actually hit okay. Not amazing, oh, okay. but he's like performed okay. decently of late. And I think what Sunday, now his last game with the Dodgers potentially, he had three hits. <laughs> uh, and yet they still were like, nope, can't have this guy. This guy's the worst. Yeah, they must really be upset with him. Yeah. I don't, we don't know what Puig did, but it seems pretty clear that he has probably burned every last bridge they've given him. And presumably, uh, he's done something that at least, uh, that, that, uh, that other organizations are aware of. Oh is yeah. That fair to say? That, this is why they couldn't trade him. Like, mm-hmm. the, it's not like there was a high asking price on Yasiel Puig and teams were like, no way. Uh, is this like no one really wants Yasiel Puig? Except for there were some rumors the White Sox might be interested, but they were going to like make the Dodgers take James Shields, and even that was kind of debunked. So at this point, it seems like Yasiel Puig probably wouldn't clear waivers, but it's an open question. So last year, and maybe even entering this year, um, there's been a question always, uh, what are the Dodgers going to do with all their outfielders? And then uh, coming to this trade deadline, it was a different question is, can they find someone to replace Yasiel Puig? Yeah, right. I mean, no, like the beginning of the year, it was like Puig, Ethier, and Carl Crawford were supposed to split the kind of corner outfield spots, and they weren't sure how that was going to work. Well, Ethier got hurt, Crawford got released, and Puig got sent to the minors. So now they have Howie Kendrick, who's the second baseman, playing one corner, and they had to trade for Josh Reddick to play the other corner. And where is Kike Hernandez these days? He just came off the DL when he was going to platoon with Jock Peterson in center field. Where is Scott Van Slyke? He's not very good. No, he's not. He had a good turn hitting left-handers for a while. He's like a decent platoon bench bat, but not a guy you want to play every day. And the same thing with Trace Thompson, probably. Oh, yeah, Trace Thompson. Not as good as his brother. Sorry, Trace. Probably, although probably has has an advantage in terms of baseball-related. Yeah, maybe. Although we've never seen Clay hit, so. 
No, we haven't. Uh, I will say, to your point, uh, since he returned from the DL, Puig has produced a batting line 30% better than league average. Right. He's been okay, and they still want to get rid yeah. of him. They still want to get rid of him. Uh, Josh Reddick is a player uh, of, who I like quite a bit. Yeah. He makes a lot of contact, mm-hmm. uh, which is not something he always did as a younger player. And I believe that uh, his defensive reputation is excellent as well. True? Yeah, I mean, I think he's probably declined defensively from where he was a few years ago. Maybe not the uh, gold lover he was, but not a liability and a above average hitter with good contact skills and solid power. You know, I'm prepared to say that Josh Reddick is one of my favorite players. Okay. Do you like beards? It's not because of the beard. I like players who make a lot of contact. Uh, okay. Well, how do you feel about Skip Schumacher? Mm, I don't know if Skip Schumacher made a lot, made a lot of contact. Didn't he? He was a white utility infielder, don't they all? Like, how, how do you feel about Nick Punto? Yeah. yeah. I like something else besides it. Schumacher did make quite a bit of contact, you're right. Although, it is sort of, uh, no, you're, it's not the only consideration, Dave. Charlie Tilson, coming up, uh, who's just been promoted by the White Sox after having been traded to that club from, St. Louis. from St. Louis in exchange for, Duke. Zach Duke, yes, that's right. Uh, Charlie Tilson makes a lot of contact. He does. He has yep. like no power. He does. He does. Very little power. <laughs> uh, very little power. But he's quite fast. Yeah. We'll see how that works out. Oh yeah. Um, it, um, what is what is the status? We were still talking about the Dodgers trade. What is the status with Rich Hill currently in terms of injury? He's got a blister, but no one seems like overly concerned because the blister is not like an arm problem. Um, but currently unable to pitch because of a blister issue. But and it has been for a little bit, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah a few weeks now. Yeah. Uh, what is this? Is a bad blister? Yeah, uh, when he tried to take them out, and he threw like three pitches, and then walked off and said, "My blister just popped. I can't. I can't do this." So, I mean, a blister on your pitching hand is a problem, and that you can't really pitch through it because you can't grip the ball effectively. So right. they need the blister to heal. But then once the blister heals, it's not supposed to be like a long-term issue. Yeah. You know what this is? This is a mess of a podcast. Yeah. The most, but the most messy. It's really not. It's really difficult Maybe to. You should call this one like clean up on an aisle podcast. Well, I was going to call it a mess of a podcast with Dave Cameron. Right. It's tough. It's because it's difficult to digest all this. I honestly, all you have benefited me considerably here because you've actually just told me where players went. Right. Because I pay attention to the news. Well, you do. Yeah. It's a thing, I it's a thing today, that I do. I published today six posts. From Eric Longenagin. Just by Eric Longenagin yeah. alone. Just himself, yeah. I think he probably, between yesterday and today, wrote like 12 or 13 things, right? Yeah, he wrote he wrote a lot. And then, and of course, he capped it off with the with rating all of the players who've been traded over the last two weeks. Yeah, I think uh, yesterday was really rough. Like, you know, not that people necessarily care about our lives necessarily, but 18 no. trades in a few hours is not not great for us. It, it would have really been yeah. nice if they would have spread these out. Like, you know, we basically had a couple of weeks where, like, nothing happened, right? Even, like, over the weekend, Friday and Saturday were pretty slow. Uh, but then everything happened all at once, which was challenging. Is there any advantage for a team to to wait to the end? Or I mean, I you've got to keep your options open, right? Like, if you say, yeah. okay, I'm not going to commit to this thing because I don't know what these other guys are going to go for, then you potentially can weigh, you know, A, B, C, and D and decide what you want to do. Um, kind of after you figure out the price of all those things. 
but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily know why this time no one wanted to do any trades in like July 23rd. That would have been nice. When I first got, the, when I first saw the news of the Liriano trade, um, in his August, I think, cause I think that was one of the last trades reported, yeah, right? The last one, yeah. Before the deadline. I always get the impression, I feel like I've been in situations before, you know, like where I was at the mall and I was like, should I buy these shoes? Should I buy these shoes? And they're like, we're closing. And I'm like, all right, I'll buy the shoes. I'll buy the shoes. And then as soon as I get outside, I'm like, oh, why did I, why did I buy these freaking shoes? Yeah, I think they, it, they uh, maybe it was Ross Atkins, the Blue Jays GM, said that deal got done at 3.59. So one minute before the deadline, they wrapped that up. What is up. the actual thing that makes it official? They have to call it into the league? Yeah, I don't know if it's like a phone call or an email or something, but you basically have to notify the commissioner's office. Right, and then what? Do you, you don't have to submit to all of the paperwork? No, yeah, either, I mean, do you? yeah. There's not things that have to be signed. You just both have to like, hmm. or you have to code, CC an email, or I'm not exactly sure what the exact process is, but you have to tell. Well, I would like to know this exact process. Well, we could ask someone in the in the game; they would be able to tell us. Yeah, the logistics of that are interesting to me okay. because you have to. There has to be some way for both parties to confirm right. that there's the trade. Yeah, I mean, there's probably a central email account. Would be my guess. That you just like okay. trades at MLB.com or something. <laughs> oh, should I? <laughs> Why don't you just send an email to trades at MLB.com, submit a trade and see what happens. <laughs> I would like Jarrell Cotton. Yeah, okay. Jarrell Cotton now pitches for Team Fangraphs. Yeah, a number of fringe guys. Jarrell Cotton was moved. Charlie Tilson. I, th- I think the Brewers, well, the Brewers are trying to acquire Greg Allen. The Brewers are trying to acquire every prospect you like. Yeah, they got Aaron, they got Aaron Wilkerson, of course. Who's yeah, Lewis Brinson likes, even liked by scouts, not a fringe guy, but liked more by the metrics. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I, Kato I was loves. very, what's that? Kato loves Lewis Brinson. Yeah, I was really, uh, uh, I mean, when I was reading, uh, Longenagin's report on him, I, I remarked to myself, this is an impressive player because you see, I mean, he has got both power and speed, obviously, yeah. but, but it's not as though it's entirely, Raw, either he has baseball skills as well. Right. Yeah. Which is what you're looking at. That's a complete ball player right there. That's probably why they were happy to get him. <laughs> he's probably why. Do you think that he'll, uh, wait, will he, will he appear in a major league game soon? Uh, uh probably less, less necessary for the Brewers. Uh, I mean, they might give him a September call up, but I would guess that you might not see him until next year. Right. He's, uh, he has played quite a bit in double A this year, but he also has not necessarily looked, uh, He's been he's been good, but but not great at Double A. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, I think that's the thing. He's not like forced forced uh, promotion, right? Which Andrew Benintendi did do, correct? Maybe I don't know if Gary Sanchez forced promotion, but well, um, Sanchez didn't have anyone in his way anymore. Now that they are to Beltron, right? <clears throat> and then uh, also, I believe uh, promoted and will debut either Tuesday or Wednesday is Orlando Arcia, right? Um, who has been uh, the top prospect in the Brewer system for a little bit. Yeah, hasn't had an amazing year in AAA. It started strong and it was really cooled off, so a little surprising they're promoting him. But no, if they were planning on having him as their opening day shortstop next year, then no real change in service time. You might as well just give him the two months. Right, and I, I think what? That, uh, well, they didn't actually trade a third baseman, but they've had – it's been a hole over there. Well, they did. They had Aaron Hill yeah. playing there. And now they'll move Jonathan VR over there. Right, because what, in the meantime, they've had a lot of Will Middlebrooks, maybe? Yeah, that's not, not something you want to have. They might have also, at the beginning of the season, had Colin Walsh yeah, playing some third base. Also not something you want to have. Yeah. Garen Cicchini, I believe, is also employed by the Brewers. Yeah, also not very good. Yeah. We're just going to name bad, bad players in Milwaukee. 
<laughs> do, you know, <laughs> do you know? Do you know what I, I was surprised? You know, sometimes maybe this doesn't happen to you, but I will begin. I'll be begin watching a game, and uh, well, it will be a revelation that pl- player A is playing for team B. Yeah. And uh, I saw C- Connor Gillespie taking uh, w- was batting fourth for the Giants um, in a game that I saw the last couple of days. I bet that was a was Sunday the, game. Yeah, it was the Sunday game, and I was watching it because they were facing the Nationals, maybe. Okay. And Reynaldo Lopez was pitching. Does that sound right? Maybe it's Saturday then. Yeah. Anyway, I was watching that game. And I see Connor Glassby not only in uniform for the Giants, the team by which he was drafted, but batting cleanup and I think approaching like the 200 plate appearance threshold at this point. It's amazing what can sneak under your radar when you don't actually watch baseball. Well, I do watch – College baseball and – What's this? College baseball and wood bat leagues and Panamanian – Summer leagues. <laughs> I do watch some minor league baseball, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, now you'll this never is... get to see Jarrell Cotton again because he'll be in Oakland pretty soon. So in like three years, you'll be like, oh, Jarrell Cotton's still in the league. Who knew? I like his changeup quite a bit. Yeah, I know. All right. Hey, this is done. This is very done. Very messy. Yeah. Okay. You've fulfilled your obligation. Hooray. All right. I have to edit uh, Eno Saris's piece on John Gray. Okay. Thank you, Dave Cameron. You're welcome. Maybe stick around for one second. But in the meantime, that has been Managing Editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. I'm clueless host of Fangraphs Audio, Carson Sestouli. And this has been Fangraphs Audio. That, that same program, this name I just said a second ago. Mm-hmm.